Well, um, before I go into this, I uh, want to encourage us. There, uh, how many know that basically they try to start you on, on November 1st, but basically December 1st, right after Thanksgiving, that whole spirit of the season, the spirit of Christmas comes on real strong. The spirit of heavy traffic hits, spirit of busy shopping, all that, it comes upon people. And um, we love God and we love the Holy Spirit, but I'm not so sure that so many times that the spirit of the season is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. I'm not a Christmas basher, just hang on. But I want to say this, that if the spirit of the season begins to drive you and it begins to control you and begins to get you hectic and gets your mind off the Lord and, and all of a sudden you find yourself running to and fro and, and your relationship with the Lord is suffering, just stop. For real. You know, we, we, we operate under this, it's an unspoken law. I have to give them something because they're probably going to give me something. How many know that law? The unwritten law. They might give me something, so I got to get them something. I dare you not to give them something this year. I mean, love on them and, you know, be a blessing and be good. But I just, don't get into that whole thing where you're running to and fro under the spirit of the season and your heart is disconnecting and unplugging from the Lord. That is not God. And so I want to encourage us as we're heading into the, the holiday season, uh, not to get under that. I, I was sitting here in the prayer room this week just sort of agitated in my, in my heart about the uh, Christmas decor that goes up November 1st. They push it back every year. What's the deal? This is about money, beloved. That's what this is. Just let's not get under that. Let's love and give and have fun at our ho- holiday gatherings. If you can't get in and, you know, find that perfect gift for somebody, write them a note, tell them how much you love them, give it to them, smile and give them a big juicy kiss and go, amen. Just be done. <laughs> or you can do gift certificates. Those are easy. Starbucks, 20 bucks. Bam. Buy about 20 of those. Pass them out like cards. You're good. Just a thought. Okay, Good. <laughs> I want to start a series tonight uh, it, about coming to maturity in Christ. And I'm always a little dangerous when I haven't had a chance to speak in a while because um, it has the potential to be a little bit scattered. So I've been storing up for about three weeks now. Stephen Eugen has preached the last two weeks and did a wonderful job. Amen. Good. And... Uh, good uh, preaching and good ministry. Terrible for me because I sit there and get loaded up with all these things to say. Then I'd, I've got to work myself, you know, just really try to control myself to focus it down and get, get focused with my thoughts. So uh, I'm going to preach about six messages tonight. And as we do that, hopefully you'll enjoy a few of them. No, we'll, we'll work through these thoughts and hopefully I'll make a good point. That's my goal. My goal every time is to make one good point. If I can make a good point, I feel like we've won. And, and you people are wonderful that you would come and subject yourself to this. So just way to go. You made it. All right. 
I, uh, I want to teach, uh, start a lesson entitled, Maturity in the School of Adversity. Maturity in the School of Adversity. And I'm convinced that uh, we have very little concept of the activity in the hand of the Lord and what the Lord uses to bring us to maturity in our walk with Him. And uh, throughout the Bible, there are multiple uh, examples, many, many scriptural examples of uh, biblical figures that God has uh, woven through their life uh, various and sundry manifestations of adversity by the hand of the Lord in order to instruct them in the ways of righteousness. And one thing is clear that God is deeply, deeply desirous of a mature bride. He loves his people and he desires to bring his people to maturity. He desires to have a partner that's worthy of his son. This thing is, it it begins in a garden with a man and a woman and it's going to end in a garden uh, with a man and a woman. It's called the New Jerusalem. And this thing is really about God bringing a bride to maturity to marry to his son. Well, the track for that, beloved, isn't, isn't exactly uh, the way that many of us picture it to be. And, and many times we um, uh, associate our social um, experience in the Western culture with God's plan for bringing us to maturity. And, and what that does is that deletes many times in our mind the aspect of God using adversity to grow us up. We base many times our social experience that we have here in the West, and we think about God's manner as that which we experience here in the West in just our social and and our economic uh, formats that we we experience in society here, and we think that's God's way uh, just because we live in a country that's that's, uh, first world and, and is flowing with finance, and there's much ease. We live in the country with the greatest amount of ease and the the greatest amount of entertainment in the world. And therefore, many times we believe that God's plan to bring us to maturity involves great amounts of ease and great amounts of entertainment. And beloved, I just say, unfortunately, it's just not the way he does. His biblical pattern for uh, bringing people to maturity almost always, almost 100% of the time, mixes in uh, heavy doses of adversity. And I want to say this, that God loves you so much, He will not leave you in your immaturity. He will not leave you like that. When you take inventory of your life and you look over your stuff and you go, man, I just don't have it together. I've got uh, 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 all these things. And the Lord looks down at you and goes, little buddy, it's really not about those ten. There's this other issue I'm dealing with. Just get yourself off the self-introspection and the self-condemnation. I'll deal with the one little issue. Just know I love you. And the whole time God is working in our life, you know, the, 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 uh, the challenge of our heart is that we, we think we've got all these issues. And God goes, I really want to bring you to maturity. I love you too much to leave you immature. And we fret under our immaturity. And God goes, no, I will not leave you like that. I love you too much for that. And so he is very faithfully committed. Very faithfully committed to you. Very faithfully committed to us as a people to not leave us in our immaturity. 
started thinking about some biblical examples of the school of adversity. The school of adversity. I started thinking about the nation of Israel. You know, we know Father Abraham had many sons. We, you know, we got the Sunday school uh, song. But we don't really think about the track that Abraham and, and the uh, subsequent nation that God birthed out of Abraham that they went through. God takes Abraham... And he, and he calls him out of the place that he's from, Ur of the Chaldeans, which is actually modern-day Iraq. Calls Abraham out, and he says, uh, I am going to make of you a nation. I am going to make you like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky, Abraham. Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15. And God takes him out and makes Abraham a stranger in a strange land, roaming around as a nomad. And God multiplies and blesses Abraham. And then God brings through Abraham, get this, at a hundred years old, a son. Now how weird would that have been for Abraham? He's 75 or so when God calls him and says, I'm going to make from you a great nation. By the time Abraham gets to a hundred, he's thinking the vision and the encounter that he had was a pizza dream. He doesn't know what that was. It's not going to happen. He's a hundred. Get it. It's not going to happen now. God says it surely will happen and then God brings from him and and from Sarah Isaac and then from Isaac Jacob and Jacob with years of serving Laban I mean like 14 years plus to just get married a couple times I mean that story is rough I mean he, he goes there serves for seven years and he gets the wrong girl not good I wanted door number one. <laughs> you know, he gets door number two. Well, he goes 14 years plus, and then he serves, and he, and he gets some cattle and all this. So then Jacob, through, through several wives, has 12 sons. And then they end up in Egypt through providence and God's plan through Joseph and, and the whole thing, and famine hits, and Joseph is the one that's given the revelation of how to provide in the famine. And Jacob ends up moving his family, all 70 members, all their tribes and uh, their flocks and, and animals, all into Egypt. And they go there. And uh, it's about the, the pilgrimage time. We don't really realize this. We go 400 years. But I want to challenge you to study it out because if you do the math on this thing, you'll find that they traveled around like nomads uh, sojourning in the land that they didn't even own, didn't even have a place that was theirs for 215 years. Now, we always point to the slavery in Egypt. But what about not knowing where you live? Not being a people, not having a home, not having a country. And God says, I'm going to make of you a nation as great as the stars in the sky. I'm going to make of you a nation in the sand of the sea. I'm going to make you so vast. And all, it says, he prophesies this to him in Genesis 12, all the nations of the earth should be blessed in you, Abraham. Well, 215 years later, they find themselves running to Egypt to get a little help during the famine. Finally, Jacob has uh, you know, got his family in order and all that, and, and God's renamed him. His name is Israel. Now God is going to form a nation out of him, but now they are living in another, a foreign land, just to get provision. And then suddenly a king arises that didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the former uh, prime minister. He does not honor uh, the Israelites. And the Israelites are, they are absolutely multiplying in strength and in numbers and it intimidates Pharaoh. And Pharaoh puts them under slavery and hard taskmaster, as a hard taskmaster for about 80 years of intense servitude. And from there, God brings massive deliverance through Moses, 
And in a very, very short period of time, uh, wanderings and years uh, in the desert and then years in, in Egypt and, and 80 hard years in hard labor overnight, literally overnight, God makes Israel uh, fearsome to all the nations of the earth. And in a very, very short period of time, destroys the strongest nation and their entire army at the hand of the Lord through Israel. I think about that entire process and the ups and the downs of that. And I'm telling you, the school of adversity is God's plan for his people. God prophesies to to Abraham and says, you're going to be an amazing nation. I'll bless the entire earth through you. And then he takes them through this journey that takes 430 years until they finally enter the promised land with 80 hard years of labor, 215 years of just struggling and traveling as nomads. Can you imagine, I mean, the generations that are later that are reading, you know, Jacob's sons that are reading the prophecy to Abraham, they are absolutely in doubt. They're making, you know, bricks and mortar all day long, and they're, they're reading the prophetic word to Abraham from Genesis 12. They're going, this is so off. This will not happen. It's impossible. Look at us. We are, our entire nation is a nation of slaves. And God flips the switch and overnight destroys the strongest nation in the world. Destroys all their armies. Had they been a little bit more obedient, he would have got them right into the promised land. Literally overnight, he makes them fearsome in all the earth. And I think about God's plan of bringing his people to maturity. It's it's stunning to me, but he puts them in slavery so they'll intercede. <laughs> Be instructed. He puts them in a time of turmoil so they will cry out to God. And the Lord says to Moses, he goes, the cries of my people have come up before me. Therefore, I will have mercy and deliver them. God allows the pressing to come so they will cry out and God will bring down deliverance. Amazing how the Lord does this thing. I was thinking about Joseph. Joseph gets the dream. Everybody's, you know, sheaves are bowing down to his. All the stars, sun, and the moon are bowing down to him. And the next thing you know, he is a slave. (laughs) That's a dream he wished he hadn't shared. Don't talk about it, Joseph. You got the dream. You got the prophetic revelation. Be instructed. Don't talk about it. Write that one in the journal and leave it. What happens is he shares the dream. He ends up being envied. He ends up going into the pit. He ends up getting sold into slavery. And just when it couldn't get any worse, his uh, Potiphar's wife lies about him. You guys know the story. He ends up in jail. Then he finally looks like he's going to get out. The baker and the the cupbearer come in. He interprets their dreams. Guess what? They forget about him two years later. Can I tell you something? That long 24-month period of time when Joseph is in the prison on the backside of interpreting the baker and the cupbearer's dreams, I'm telling you, he's looking back at that prophetic dream. He's thinking about the sheaves bending. He's thinking about the stars bending and bowing to him. Thinking about God exalting him. And he's going, that was so off. There is no way that was right. I missed that entirely. And God goes, little friend, Joseph. He goes, I have got a plan. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I have got to take you through a track that will enable your heart to bear that which I'm about to bring to you. I'm about to bring glory to you, Joseph, but I need to root your heart in reality and in humility so that you can bear up when I bring glory to you. 
wow. And I think about, you know, Moses. Moses goes 40 years in the wilderness. You know, he, he, he believes that God's beginning to use him as a deliverer. He stops uh, the, uh, the, the Egyptian from flogging the Israelite. He kills him. He gets, he gets uh, found out and he has to run. He runs out 40 years later. Think about it. 40 years, guys. My, bro- my brother's here tonight. He's 40 years today. 40 years old. Happy, happy 40. My mom's next to him. The whole family's here. Y'all over here pray for me to do good when I walk over there. The family, okay. 40 years, that's a lifetime. Moses. He's got family going. He's, he's going, no, that whole thing about being a deliverer, I'm, I totally missed that. And then one day the, the bush is burning. And he goes, what? I will step aside and see this wonder. Yes, he does. And the Lord says, I want you to go say this and say that and say this. And, and if you don't read, if you don't understand what he says, Moses goes, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. The point was Moses was a stutterer. He goes, I don't think I can say anything, Lord. I can't even speak. I'm a stutterer. He goes, Aaron will be your prophet. He brings, and, and he brings massive deliverance through Moses. 40 years in the wilderness before Moses can lead Israel out of Egypt. And then Joshua goes 40 years in the wilderness before he can lead Israel into the promised land. What is that? That's the school of adversity. God wants to bring glory to his people But I'm telling you, there are no quick fixes in the kingdom of God. There are no push the button, you know, say the right thing, maneuver and manipulate. There's none of that in the kingdom of God. God goes, I will bring maturity to you. I want to bring greatness to you. I want to bring glory to your bowels. I want to bring blessing to you. But it will come my way. It will come according to my track and my plan. And my way is not your way. And he mixes in heaping helpings of adversity and challenge and trial in order to, to temper our heart, to add to our heart with the good, the challenge to strengthen and fortify us so that we'll be able to stand in those days that God wants to bring blessing and glory to us. So I was thinking about some of these, com, uh, some of these, these issues. I was thinking about the whole concept of maturity and immaturity. And, you know, um, I was thinking about how often the term uh, immaturity is thrown around. And, and many times immaturity is really looked down upon. You know, the, 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 the message will come out and the, the point will be made about somebody who's immature. And that will be hammered. And, and everybody in the room goes, well, I'm immature. so And, and the, the condemnation sweeps over and you just feel like, well, I'll never be good because I'm basically I've got these issues and I know I'm not going to grow. God's real problem isn't with uh, immaturity. God's real problem is with rebellion. God looks at the person that's that's weak and immature but has a yes in their heart and he goes, "I'm for you. Keep going. Keep saying yes. I high five you. I will I love you so much. I will not leave you immature. I will bring you to maturity. The problem, beloved, isn't whether or not somebody is uh, immature or mature. The problem is whether or not they're rebellious or sincere. 
And many times what we do is we treat the immature as if they are rebellious. And the entire time the Lord goes, I see the yes in their heart. I'm just trying to bring them to the place of maturity, even though their immaturity is glaring. And even they've got stuff hanging out here and there and they say the wrong thing and they do the wrong thing. God goes, I am weaving together the perfect mixture in their life to bring them to maturity. Give that little guy 40 years in the wilderness and watch him. He will so be a deliverer. They go, no, no, he's a murderer. No, 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 I will make him a deliverer. What we see with our eyes and we judge, so often we judge, we look at them, we go, ah, so rebellious, so immature. God goes, no, no, they're exactly where I want them right now. He goes, I'm dealing with point one in their life. You see point two through 99. God goes, I could care less about those. I'm going to deal with point one right now. It might take three years. And what we're called to do is to be gracious with the in-process, immature person. Doesn't mean that we're easy and we just are pushovers. I mean, there's times when you put, you know, you put the roadblock in front. You go, bro, this is the wrong way. Love you, immature little friend, but turn around for real. I mean, that's just, you have to do that sometimes. But God's really not scandalized with people's immaturity. He, he really, uh, the one that is weak and immature but has a yes in their heart, God goes, I love them. Yes, awesome. God uh, has a problem with the rebellious. And so many times we hear this thing where immaturity is preached and it's preached really, really, really negatively. But I don't think it's God's biggest problem. But it's interesting how the Bible identifies immaturity. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 kind of touches it. Ephesians 4. If you're taking notes, 13 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. But the, the interesting thing to me was this. Immaturity was not primarily, is not biblically primarily identified with uh, what we would automatically think about uh, is identified with immaturity. We would automatically pick the 10 bad sins, whatever they are, the, you know, the cuss word, the the, you know, the impropriety, sexual impropriety, da, 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 da. We would pick the big negative ones. God goes, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, he goes, it's carnality. And really what I'm talking about, and this is what Paul says, he goes, really what I'm talking about is those that cause strife and divisions. He goes, it's really about what you say is the point. Envy, strife, and divisions. That's the immaturity that God uh, wants to get out of us. Envy is selfish Envy. Strife and divisions. What's the point? He's trying to grow you up. This is how it works. He tries to grow you up so that whether blessed or challenged, whether somebody loves you or hates you, whether they say good about you or negative about you, you just high five them, say a good word about them, and you move on. It's that whole thing love doesn't uh, notice a wrong suffered. It's that whole Matthew 5 Sermon on the Mount Christianity 101 thing. Blessed are you and they persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you. The, the idea in, that, in, the, in the chapter about nine, 8, 9, and 10 there, Matthew 5, the idea is they just make up lies about you and talk behind your back about you. He goes, blessed and rejoice about it. And so this whole concept of God bringing us to maturity it's really not about this hairy, glaring sin, I think, many times that we think about. It's about the whole strife, envy, selfishness, and what you say when people treat, mistreat you. 
Now, how many of us, let's just get real, we're all pious tonight, full of turkey and happy and Thanksgiving and all that. But how many of us, for real, when the guy makes up the lie that they know is the lie, and they go behind our back, and they tell somebody the thing that they know is false about us, how many of us just say a blessing about that person? I mean, come on, somebody. Never. I mean, just not. And I, I, there's some biblical examples that are just, they're just burners because you look at the guy and you go, how did he do that? If we have time, we'll get to David tonight. But man, I just, oh. I look at some of these things and I go, man, God's really, really interested in how I say uh, what, I, uh, what I say. Very, very interested in whether I'm about bringing unity or about whether I am about bringing division. He's very, very interested. He identifies immaturity also as being uh, tossed to and fro by the trickery of men. He goes by the d- deceitful plotting. What's that? That's talking about not having a knowledge of God. He goes, the immature, what it is, is they just don't have a real knowledge of who God is, and therefore they're easily swayed by deceptive doctrines. So on the other hand, the mature, and he, and he uses, I mean, it's just, Paul's just a pretty good teacher, I guess. I guess that's why the Lord used him to write so much of the Bible. Huh, okay. Just not funny tonight, Jen. Help. Just not. I've got a few more jokes in here. I'll use them. Okay, I'll try later. But Paul is a good teacher, and so therefore what he does is he takes that thing. On the one hand, he goes, okay, you're immature if you're tossed around. You're immature if you're envious, strife. But he goes, on the other hand, he goes, you're mature when you walk in love. You're mature when you have a depth in the knowledge of God. You're mature when you're perfected in love. How about that one? Perfected in love. And you're mature when uh, you don't fear. Paul is an, I mean, that's just awesome. And I go, God, oh, that I wouldn't fear. Oh, that I wouldn't fret. Oh, that I would uh, have the, the fullness of the knowledge of God, which is what he says in Ephesians 4. He goes, a depth in the knowledge of God attaining to the fullness of Christ. Intimacy with God and fullness. He goes, that's mature. You know, it's interesting to me, the one who is mature is probably not even aware of their maturity. Like the mature guy, he doesn't really have the white hat and the clipboard going down and going, uh, yes, no, yes, no. You know, you're mature, you're not. The, the mature guy doesn't even think that way. The mature guy doesn't even realize he's mature. The mature guy just goes, I am so in love and I am so weak and yeah. I love God and I have to trust him with everything and that's who I am. God goes, that's pretty good. Depth in the knowledge of me, intimacy and and aware of who you are in front of me. Yeah, yeah, faith, that's weakness. Yeah, that's good. And that's maturity as God defines it. I was like, man, this thing really is interesting but the mature person is not generally the one that's uh, telling people who is mature and who's not. And so I started thinking about this whole concept, this maturity and maturity, the school of adversity and I just again was warmed with the sense of God's zeal over the whole topic. He wants a bride, a mature bride. 
This entire life, beloved, is about God bringing you to maturity to partner with his son. This entire life is about God bringing you to maturity so he can join you with his son for eternity. God dreamed from eternity past about what it would be like to be in union with men. God wants to join himself to us in unending, unbroken fellowship, even so much that God became a man and died for us because of love. This is the dream that's resonating in the heart of God. And God goes, I want a mature bride for my son. He is zealous and burning with it. He will not leave you in your immaturity. He is faithful. Therefore, what he does in the school of adversity, though it doesn't feel good a lot, is always because of his faithfulness. It's always because of his great love. It's always because of his great desire. Every, what we would call, wounding of the heart to bring us closer to God. It's a faithful wound. Proverbs 27, it says it this way, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceptive are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus is the faithful friend who doesn't mind bringing about circumstances that at some level even, even wound our heart to some level if it will cause us to clamor and grope for him. The faithful one. So, how does it all work? And what's the, to me, I think the big issue is discernment. We have to cry for discernment when God puts us in school. Because what happens, and I think this is the plot that many of us fall into, is that we live our life misunderstanding the workings of God, attributing God's workings to the devil, attributing the devil's workings to God, and attributing the, the workings of men to God and the devil. And God goes, little friend, I am working, the devil is working, and man is working, and it's all happening. And so the the necessity of our heart is we've got to have discernment to be able to to rightly understand when's, when's it God working in my life to cause me to erupt in faith and grope for him? When is it the devil working trying to cause me to uh, shipwreck and, and be destroyed in my faith? And the challenge is, when you look at a situation, you go, okay, is this the Lord trying to bring maturity, or is this the devil trying to shipwreck me? And the answer is yes. That's the hard one. I.e., let me give you a little example from David's life. A demon spirit comes on Saul, and Saul is interpersonally just jealous and angry. Saul has negative He's got lots of energy with negative emotion towards David in jealousy and a distressing demon. And therefore, David goes, Ah, is this you, God, or is this the devil? And the Lord goes, Yes, David. It's the demon on Saul and Saul being a dummy. It's, and it's both. It's, it's the activity of man and sin and Satan himself trying to work through Saul to destroy David's life. And God goes, you know what? I will allow both of these portions and this mixture in your life. I am bringing you to maturity. Oh, David, if you could only understand who you are. You imagine David, little guy David. I'm getting a little ahead, but I'm going to 
backtrack in a minute. But little guy David, some guys think he was 10 when he was anointed by Samuel. Some guys think he was as young as 10. Little sheep herder harp player. Little guy David, he's doing some sort of worship thing that people are finding out about. Saul rejects God. Saul gets demonized. Saul goes, I need somebody with the anointing. And some of the guys in Saul's inner circle goes, there is this real anointed guy, the son of Jesse. When he comes and plays, I'm telling you, the anointing of God comes. David undoubtedly had some sort of a worship time happening. You know, I mean, I don't know how it worked. David's on the backside of the desert. Some people hear him saying, they're like, man, when I was out there, it was like an open heaven. I mean, he's an anointed 15-year-old, whatever. So Saul brings David in, and, and, and David, you know, he is, he is just a lover of God. I mean, he's not aspiring to anything. He's got nothing. He's a shepherd little guy. I mean, he's a little guy nothing. Saul brings him in. Now he's worshiping in the court of the king. And in a minute, Saul is bent on destroying David. And do, how do you think that that, uh, that whole swirl of, of things, how do you think that that touched the heart of young David? A little guy, David, one minute ago, he was just out there worshiping. He was just enjoying himself with Jesus. I mean, he's just, I love you, God. And now he's getting spears thrown at him, and the king of, all, of the whole nation is trying to kill him. Because this was way easier when I was a shepherd. I don't want any of that. I just want this. I want Jesus. God goes, oh, David, if you understood, yes, you are a worshiper. He goes, but I am going to make you the example of what it means to be a, a one whose heart is abandoned in love with me. And the school that I've got to bring you through will have many levels of pressing, even past what you've experienced with the lion and the bear, even past what you've experienced from the mouth of your brothers. I will bring you into a place of adversity that will so strengthen you in your heart, David. You will be the example of an abandoned lover and worshiper of God, David. If you'll just say yes to me, I will, by my sovereign hand, move you through and take care of you in this time. And I tell you, I believe this. I believe that many people, and let me get more specific, many of us, we go through the adversities of life. We have the, the hand of, of men working against us, and then we have the hand of the devil working against us. And we, because we do not discern what's happening, we attribute improperly the activities that are going on around us, the feelings, the emotions that we're feeling. And when we attribute those things improperly, it stunts our growth into God. I think that we struggle with this whole concept of discernment because we don't understand the context. So let me try to break it down for you. And this is not exhaustive in any way, but the school of adversity. I think there's a threefold action plan that God uses. The first is suffering persecution at the hands of men. Suffering persecution at the hands of men. It's not simply enemies, but it's loved ones and friends. God goes, I will absolutely let them say negative things about you. Not a problem at all. I think about Mary of Bethany. She goes in in front of Jesus' most trusted followers and they disdain and mock her. 
And Jesus is anointed enough, he's got enough of a word of knowledge, he could say, guys, you're about to say something really dumb about Mary, just don't say it. He could have stopped them before they said it. Instead, he lets Mary get the oil. He lets her get the box. He lets her walk across the room. He lets the voices begin to say all manner of negativity about her. What is she doing? Why this waste? Her heart is beating out of her chest. She breaks it. She pours it over over his feet. They're talking. They're assailing her. They're saying negativity about her. She's weeping. She's washing his feet. They're saying, why this waste? It could have been sold. This is such a waste. And then Jesus, after... The voice of persecution comes. Then Jesus says, stop. And he vindicates her publicly. Not prior to the voice being raised against her. After. It's part of God's school. School of adversity. Second thing that is part of it, the action plan, is the trials of the devil. There are two ways the devil comes against you he comes against you with temptation to sin and demonic attack and many times they're both one and the same he tries to allure you to rebel against God and if he can't do that he will oppress you and try to destroy you with doubt and depression and despair David after he's running from Saul all along, he's been referencing, I believe, the, the, the vision and the, the, the word of the Lord to him from Samuel the prophet. But around about chapter 20, right there in the first few verses of, of 1 Samuel, David says, Saul is going to kill me. David goes into that place of despair. It's the voice of the devil that David has begun to believe in that moment. And David has got to get himself up out of that. And the Lord uses Jonathan as an encouragement in his life and does some different things. But David has got to get up out of that place of despair because he is now siding with what the devil is saying instead of what God is saying. God had said, I will make you king. The devil said, you will die before that happens. It's the attack of the enemy. And David is, fights through that. And that's, here's the thing with us. Because uh, many of us are prayer people and we spend much time before the Lord in a receptive position from God. We say yes many times easily to the maneuvering of God in our life. Many times we say yes to the wooing and the leading, even the challenge of of the Lord in our life, even the correction and and the hardship sometimes. But many times what will happen is the devil will go ahead and throw in an attack at the same time that God is moving. And when we don't discern that, hey, this is actually killing me, it's not helping me. Many times what uh, prayer people will do is they'll just lay down right under the attack of the devil and just let themselves get flogged. Instead of going, you know what? This is hurting me. This is not helping me pray. This is not helping me love God. This is destroying my faith. And there's that place where God says, you know what? In the name of Jesus, why don't you stand? And when you've done all to stand, stand firm and speak against that attack of the enemy and command it to go. And that's when we've got to have that, that place of flexing our authority and demanding the enemy to leave. We have that authority. See, God, he allows the attack of the enemy in the school of adversity. He allows it to come, but he doesn't want you to be beaten under it. 
He allows it to come so you will stand with authority and you'll stand against and resist the devil unto victory. He never made you the devil's uh, whipping boy unto Satan having victory in your life. And so then the, the third area is the activity of God. These aren't exhaustive. There may be seven areas. God may be going, Humphrey, you got area number one, point A, B, and C. There's 25. But I'm just giving you what I know or what I think of. I'm not even saying I know these. (laughs) But the third thing that I can think of in the school of adversity is the activity of God. God's blessing, the discernible moving of God in our life, part of the school of adversity. Why? Because when you're sensing God's blessing, you've got to stay humble in the place of blessing. And then God's discernible absence. (laughs) He never leaves you nor forsakes you, but there's times when you can't feel him, see him, smell him, or hear him. And that can be just as difficult as anything. You pray, you feel nothing. You read, the words are dead. You, 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 know, you, you, you begin to think, I should pray and I should read, but I don't feel anything, I don't hear anything. Why am I even doing this? And God is calling to your heart. He goes, even in that place when you don't feel me or see me, will you place your heart willfully before the flame of my love? And it's in those times when our flesh begins to cry out. It begins to itch. It begins to desire fulfillment. Your flesh starts saying, feed me, because you're not sensing God with your spirit. You're not feeling God in your, in your flesh. You're not feeling him and sensing God in your flesh says, feed me. And it's those places when you have a soulish and a fleshly itch that it, can, it will never be satisfied. When, you're, when your spirit is, is not sensing God, your, your soul and your flesh begin to cry out, but what you really have got going on is a spiritual itch that your flesh and your soul are saying, feed me. But let me tell you something, you cannot satisfy your spirit by cramming carnality down your flesh. You can't. And those are the most difficult times. You don't feel him, you don't see him, you don't hear him. You did the eight hours in the prayer room and it went nothing. That's when the movie, that's when the carnality, that's when the the thing that will soothe your flesh seems the most appealing. I'm telling you, it's in that time. If you'll put yourself in front of the flame of the word of God, if you'll put yourself in front of the, the place of prayer and allow the Lord to continue to move in those places, the ache will grow so deep in your heart, you'll realize it's God's activity moving in you, deepening a desire for God in you. It's one of the most challenging places, I think. Good. So I started thinking, how does this whole thing process out? I don't think I'll get to David tonight. I want to talk about David in a subsequent uh, session, and and I want to talk about the bride in Song of Solomon. I want to talk about the bride at the end of the age. Let's talk about the process of this, and we'll, and we'll, we'll wrap up. We'll have a time of prayer. So God puts us in the school of adversity, and then there's this cyclical process we find ourselves in multiple places maybe at one time and then over and over and over in all these different places and it's 
you, you know, three steps forward, a step back, and then two steps forward, and one step back, and then two steps forward, and three steps back, and three steps forward. And God takes you through the process, and he grows you gradually through this process, and he mixes all these different ingredients in. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, you look back and you go, something happened. I, like, like, I got better. <laughs> I'm yeah, it's working somehow. I don't know, you know, what the discernible time frame is, but you look at it, you go, this is actually working in me. And, and, and you realize, you go, man, I'm not as mad when they say bad things about me. And I, and I, I love God, really, I do. And, and yeah, say all you want, it's okay. And you, you, all of a sudden you're realizing there's a formation of Christ in you. So the thing usually starts like this, God allures your heart. He touches you. He does something special in you, and he goes, I love you. And he breathes in, and it's in those moments you sense the life of God. You sense the drawing of the Spirit of God. You, your heart is enlarged. It's strangely warm, and there's an alluring going on in your spirit. And, and we love that place, don't we? I mean, we all want to stay there. It's like, God, draw me, allure me, draw me away, Jesus. Yes, under the tree, I want apples. I want cakes of raisins. That's the song of Solomon Bride in, in chapter 2. She goes, oh, yeah, feed me, sustain me, refresh me, renew me. It's good. And that's what God does. He goes, I will draw you in. We don't understand that the entire time he's drawing us in and he's, he's sustaining our heart and refreshing us, he's intoxicating us. We don't understand that he's addicting us. It's like, I thought I was just having a good quiet time, but I really want another good quiet time. I want another good quiet time. He started getting like addicted. I want another one. I want him more. I what's wrong with me? I love God. You ever looked back at your life and gone, how did I become a lover of God? This is weird. I I don't love God. He goes, now you do. He goes, I messed you up. You go, man, I love him. I do. I, I really don't want everything else that I thought I wanted. I want God. That's the, that's, the, that's the hand of God actively moving in your life. He draws you with blessing. He allures you. He releases revelation of love to you. And many times in that place, he takes the little second, uh, to me, the second stage. Many times in that place of getting allured and your heart broadening and coming alive, he goes, I will now tell you the prophetic destiny of your life. And many times he reveals it in part. Many times he reveals it in great measure. It's those prophetic words that you got in those amazing times. You know the ones you, re- you reference. You know, everybody's got about a hundred, but there's about the two or three you go, like that was a real one for real. And you think back on that one, you go, yeah, God's, no, that was definitely the Lord. If I've ever heard God, that was for sure God. But what he said was crazy. It's like way too big. There's no way I could never do that. It's impossible. It's in those times of being a Lord and, and, and tenderized and your heart's enlarging and he goes let me just release to you a little bit of a foretaste of who you are and he speaks the word of the Lord to you and it's David a Lord with the harp watching the sheep having encounters with God and Samuel says you will be the king he goes I just like my harp he goes no 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 you've got a massive something in front of you Those times, they cause the heart to shudder. 
But there's that thing on the inside, that, that desire for greatness in God, that God, even in those, that, that time, he, he'll stroke that thing and he'll, he'll, he'll touch that thing. And that desire for greatness, that desire to, to leave a legacy, he's put those things in your heart. He goes, I will do it through you. I will uh, bring something phenomenal to pass through your life. And you go, oh, yes. It's those moments of those beginnings, little, little immature place you are. You're, you're addicted to Jesus. You're loving God. And all of a sudden, you've got this sense of a prophetic destiny. You go, it's going to happen. And you don't realize that you don't know the Bible. <laughs> like, you can't even pray. You go, you know, you're going to go tell your family all about Jesus now. And you're like, I'm telling you, God spoke to me last night, man. And y'all, you can say, everybody's like, uh-huh. Uh-uh. I don't think so. Let's schedule him an appointment with a psychologist. Let's get him over there. And all of a sudden, it's, it's Joseph sharing the dream. And many times, even in that place of God releasing little, uh, some little tokens of the prophetic destiny on your life, even then, many, many times, he'll even release a little foretaste of, of that calling and that gifting and that, that anointing. Many times, you'll see brand new people operating in supernatural things. You go, what happened? And then almost it seems like all at once the water valve gets turned off. And they go, what just happened to me? God goes, little buddy, I've got a plan. I want to put something on you, but I have got to temper your heart with strength or you'll never be able to stand under what I am going to release unto you. I want to make you worthy. I'm zealous to see you mature. However, you will go through adversity for strength to come to you so you can stand in that place of maturity that I've called you to. And almost all at once, the faucet gets turned off. And it's interesting because many times when the faucet of the blessing of God gets turned off, You've been in a time when you've been shielded from adversity. You've been in a time when you're being a Lord and there's prophetic, there's a flow, there's power, there's cool stuff and it stops. And it's that time when God goes, uh, now we're going to have a couple lessons in adversity. Prayer time dries up. The word is dead. And that person that you got along with so well, they're just sharpening, sharpening fellowship. All of a sudden, you don't like them so much. And nothing seems to be going right, and everything is rubbing the wrong way. And just, and there's, it just seems like all of God's grace has lifted. And instead, he goes, I am trying to give you strength to stand in your legs. You will stand when you don't feel me. You'll stand when you don't see me. And it's even in those times where he's been shielding you from the attacks of the enemy. He goes, I will allow it in this season. Stand. And you're standing against the devil and you don't feel God. And all of a sudden, those people that really thought you were cool, they don't think you're cool anymore. What has happened? My whole world has gone upside down. I must be backslidden. He goes, no. He goes, I'm trying to grow you. He goes, I'm really zealous for you, and I love you deeply, and I'm, I'm trying to grow you, little man. I'm trying to grow you, young lady. See, Proverbs 17, 3, it says, the refining pot is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. In Isaiah 54, 16, it says this, see, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame. And forges a weapon fit for its work. 
God creates that which blows on the furnace of your life, life that causes the flame of adversity to jump and to heat up unto this, you becoming a weapon in the hand of the Lord. The Lord is the one who created the blacksmith. He is the one who brings the adversity. And what we many times misunderstand is that it's in the place of adversity and the, the place where we don't sense the presence of God that real desire for God ripens in our heart. Everybody loves Jesus when we feel him. But what about when you don't feel him? Then what is your heart saying? That's the test. That's the mature bride. That's the one who says, I don't feel him, but I love him. I don't see him or hear him, but I am lovesick for him. I've got to have him. And God, we don't realize it, but the wounding of the heart in desire and that place, the wounding of the heart in desire in that place when we don't feel him is what births real hunger for God. It's what births a sustaining desire for God. Not many want that. But I tell you, it is what he's wanting. He's wanting a bride that is not solely allured by the blessing but is allured by the person of who he is, who is desirous of him for him, not for simply what he gives. He, I tell you, he wants the ache to go so deep, to run so deeply within your heart that you desire him more than air. You desire him more than life. And this faithful friend, he'll mix together the adversity to wound the heart with desire. So that you will not stumble when adversity comes. You will stand and cry for him. You will lean in and desire him greatly even when you feel him not. Even when the enemy is breathing down your neck. Even when men rise against you. None of it will matter because the wounding of your heart will be so severe. All that will matter is him. It ends up like this. You just start going, I don't have any energy to give any time to division, to give any time to the devil. I don't have any energy. Did you hear what the guy, I, I just don't have any energy for that, bro. I just want God. I am so messed up. I just want God. Did you know your name's in the, I don't care if my name's on the website. I just want God. God bless those people that have got time to put my name on the website and say negative things. I want Jesus. And that's where your heart goes. You just go, I just don't care. I just don't care. This is where he's trying to take us and we spend time in all these, all the different steps of this at different times in our life. There's times when you feel the allurement of God and then there's times when you feel nothing and there's times when the prophetic decree is released and your destiny is live and then there's times when the enemy is breathing down your neck. And let me tell you the time, it's the hardest to believe the prophetic decree and the destiny that God's spoken of your life is when you do not feel God. Joseph in the dungeon, two years on the backside of prophesying over Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker. He's sitting there rotting, beloved. He's rotting in jail. The dream means nothing 
He had no concept that God was fortifying his heart in such a way. And in that place of rotting in jail and the dream seeming like a distant memory, I believe that Joseph reaches up and he says, You said, God, this is what you said about me. This is what you said, God. I believe you. It's in that place of feeling nothing that God fortifies his heart. And he reaches out in faith. And he fortifies him to the place of, of being able to bring him up and making him the number two man in all of Egypt. I tell you, God wants to grow us up. He wants to mature us, beloved. It's not what we think it is. It is the cakes and the raisins, but it's the north and the south wind. Worship team, why don't you just come? Let's just stand. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I believe there's many that have had God operating in activity in the entire time. God was orchestrating, uh, he was orchestrating activities in your life that you've identified as a negative thing or it caused offense in your heart. And God said, in that time, I was bringing adversity in my faithfulness to bring you to maturity. And many times we misinterpret completely the activity of God in our lives. Not seeing the outcome or the end of the thing. We view only the near side of the thing and we totally discount the working of God. We believe that God's left us or abandoned us, or, or we were backslidden, or, or we didn't hear God. And I tell you, you did hear God on the front end. He's just bringing you through this place to temper your heart with strength. And no, He didn't want you to become the punching bag for the devil. He didn't. He didn't want you to lay down and, and get your head kicked in by Satan. He wanted you to stand in that day, and He was giving you the opportunity to stand and speak against that which came against you. And yes, when the people came and they spoke against you, yes, it was hurtful, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's really not about that anyway. It's about this. God wants you mature. Even to subjecting you to some evil things people might even say or do. Maturity in the school of adversity, beloved. It is our portion. It is our portion in this life. We can learn to say yes to that which God has designed for us. We might have to take the test a few times, but I tell you at the end, oh, when the desire fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Jesus, we worship you. Oh God, do we be without offense? Strengthen with might in the inner man. What do you think you're asking for? Let love abound that my heart will be strengthened with might.